on this week's Bet the Process podcast. Rufus and I have a real life bookmaker on. We have Ed Sammons, and he's amazing. He talks about all sorts of things, and he talks about the one time that he had to explain to Rufus what a prop was and how to bet the prop. And it sounded very contentious. You get to hear that all live, unadulterated, on air on this week's Bet the Process podcast. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast, bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast, where we are lucky enough to be blessed by a real live bookmaker someone that actually really has to stand behind his numbers has to make numbers and has to actually read the market where the market's going so rufus and i are just trying to hope that we learn something from this call and maybe you guys can all learn something from this episode also so we're joined by ed sammons is uh i don't what's your exact title ed uh, vice president of risk management. That sounds really important. Yeah. It's a um, fancy is, name. The question is, does Jonathan Abram pronounce it Salmons or Salmons? Uh, it's funny because most people during school, they always try to call it Salmons, but it's just like the fish with an S yeah. Salmons. So I said it right, right? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. I was making an inside joke with the Raiders. That's pretty good since it's not my first language. So, <laughs> Um, so the real question is, does John Murray work for you or do you work for John Murray? Uh, I think I work for John. We all kind of work for John at some level, right? Oh, of course. Um, so how was week one for you guys? Uh, college was really good. NFL, we were kind of hit and miss. I heard a lot of... Uh, People in town did much better than we did. And then Monday night, we absolutely got bailed out with that just beautiful coaching by the Broncos. And that game saved us. So the whole weekend turned out to be a really good weekend. Was that mostly there just because there are a lot of parlays? Parlays tied to that or something? Yeah, just a ton of uh, money line parlays, teasers. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of the games that we really needed that we didn't get. We were, for whatever reason, we were just so overridden with Ravens money. And then we had just a ton of money line parlays that had Ravens Saints, and they got bailed out with the uh, Colts getting a push on that one. So that was a little disappointing that the Texans couldn't finish that game off. So when you get sided or when you get into a situation like that, is there any recourse for you, or does it just kind of happen where like all these exotics are have coming in, and it's hard for you to like manage against that? No, it's you try the best you can, but ultimately there's really no recourse to it. I mean, you can raise your money line a little bit, but, you know, we're, we're dealing five states right now. So, you know, you can do that to Nevada, but then you get overridden in some of the other states where they just people are just so price sensitive. If you're five or tenths off the market on a plus price, they're going to bet you. So, you know, you just hope that you win enough of the games that uh, that 
you know, in the long run, it, it works itself out. And, you know, obviously we didn't expect to win that game on Monday and we got lucky, but, you know, it's just, you need one of those like every month that, you know, you just don't totally uh, lose like uh, what, what you brought in on Sunday. So you mentioned if your price is a little bit different than the markets, you'll get, you'll get a ton of action there. Um, how much does that kind of, how much does that play a role in where you all hang a number in terms of um, just understanding that if you, if you're the only, I don't know, let's say you're the only five and a half and everybody else is a five, like how much is that actually going to impact the action you see? You know, it's, it's, it's hard to give you like a black and white answer on that because there's some games that you can be, let's just say everyone's at four and you go three and a half or four and a half. And, you know, you'll just see people just rushing to bet that. And then there's other times like, uh, the Cincinnati Dallas game today, for instance, we took some sharp money at eight, but we decided that we were going to go seven flat because we kind of thought. It just got pushed way over the top with all the Dallas injuries. We expect Dallas to show up and play a pretty good game this weekend. Anyway, we just said we're going to seven. And I kind of thought that at seven, we'd see just a ton of one-way Cincinnati money. And it just really hasn't happened. And there's still a lot of seven and a halfs around. So it's really hard to answer that question. Sometimes you see it, and then sometimes they just have no interest in it. What does that tell you? Like, what do you learn from the fact that nobody's betting the Bengals, despite the fact it's such a better price than what's out there in the market? I mean, ultimately, it just shows me that game's probably going to close seven or even six and a half. That makes a lot of sense. So along those lines, when you're making a number, are you thinking, are you, I guess, I know you're thinking about what the market was before and you're updating your power ratings, but are you thinking about where it's going to close and are you, do you have sort of any intuition for where the market's going to go? Um, I mean, I, I guess in this case you definitely do, but I mean, is it, it, it feels very, very difficult to predict, but obviously you've been doing this for many, many years. No, I mean, you, you definitely get a feel for which direction you think the number is going to go. Now, ultimately, you know, you can read something about during a practice, you know, the, the, the biggest injuries that you really don't hear the most about that really affect the line are like the offensive tackles. So if an offensive tackle gets hurt during practice, you know the line's going to move, but no one's really going to report on it because it's not a big story. But um, what we like to do is just get a feel for the number. So, you know, we're usually the first ones. We put these up on Tuesday around noon, you know, the 12-day look-ahead line. So we've already got week four up. So that's kind of our first... Uh, you know, a bit of uh, information we get into week four. And then obviously the bets that come in for week four, we kind of take note of it, move the line around, whatever. And then, you know, as we go to Sunday and we close the, you know, the lines when the games start, okay, now you just see how they bet week three, what the results are. Are they real results? Sometimes you'll see a result and, you know, a, a team can win by 14 points, but, you know, be outplayed by 200 yards, but get five turnovers. And it's just sometimes that happens. So, you know, we like to look at that and also understand where the number was last week. That's the biggest thing. And the thing that we've noticed through the years is, you know, we've got our week four lines up now, pretty much whatever is adjusted the most off of 
what happens this week into week four. And based on what we opened, that's pretty much where all the value will be. And we always will see the wise guys short of injuries. Now, injuries can change everything. Short of injuries, that's pretty much how you know where the line will come back because all they're doing is betting value. Interesting. So when you, um, one of the things we were like thinking about, and this is probably along the lines of what you were just saying, like given what's happened so far in week one, are there any big changes that you're going to make that aren't injury related? Well, I mean, probably the biggest move we saw so far was uh, the Falcons Rams game. I know we had that game 13 and a half prior. And obviously the Rams look like a team that just weren't ready to play last Thursday. They were lucky to be 10-10 at the half and just got dominated in the second half. And then the Falcons actually looked really good against the Saints. And then, you know, they played their prevent defense and lost yet again. But, you know, the Falcons definitely showed that they seem like they're improved from where they were last year. So that line, I think we opened that line at 10 and we actually saw some dog money first at 10. And then, you know, someone laid it. And these are the moves that most likely that line will inch up a little bit just because it's so short of where we had it, like, you know, essentially a week ago at this time before any games were played. How much are the, how much is, well, how much is the public driving? Um, I was actually, that's an awful question because I know the public isn't driving the lines, but would you say the public is overreacting or underreacting typically um, to early season results? Yes and no. I mean, the the public, I mean, they're, they're looking to bet teams that they trust against teams that they view as inferior. So you can look at the game tomorrow night, the Chiefs and the uh, Chargers. Now, this is a line that I believe we've had at three pretty much most of the summer. Now, I know Keenan Allen got hurt last week, and now the line is all the way up to four. And the public has decided that they saw enough of the Chiefs last week against a banged-up Arizona team, and the public is all over Kansas City right now. So that's how the public thinks. So then, from that standpoint, and this is actually one of the most interesting things I think about, people will always say, like, if you listen to mainstream media, they'll talk about how a point spread is there to balance the action, right? That is the common theme. Or... They talk about the public betting something and the market reacting. So talk to me a little bit or tell us a little bit about ultimately what drives you to move a line. Well, I mean, you know, you, you could say theoretically the line is designed to get 50% of the action on side A, 50% on side B. But I, I would say it's more the line is more of keeping the wise guys away from a certain team, or if the wise guys all like, let's just say the wise guys all like the chargers. I actually, well, let's go back to Monday night, the, uh, the Broncos Seahawks game. It's a much better example. Okay. So that line, I believe we opened up uh, when the schedule came out. I think we opened, I'm not sure when the Russell Wilson trade happened. Anyway, I think the line we opened up was like three and a half. And then it slowly inched up four, four and a half, five. And as the summer went on and pretty much the, the game that got the public excited was that preseason Thursday night game between the Seahawks and the Bears. 
the public saw that game and decided Seattle is the worst team they've ever seen because they lost to the Bears, who stink. So that really started to push it up. You know, now we're five and a half, six. We're the week of the game, and we're pushing to six and a half. And so far, there's zero resistance. No one wants any bets on Seattle. It's all Denver. So, you know, obviously, you're always trying to push the line as high as you can get it without someone buying back. And you want to see, okay, let's go to seven, see who wants seven. So we went to seven, and then all of a sudden, we started seeing the professional money. So quickly back to six and a half, even saw some professional money at six and a half, closed the game six, definitely had much more money with the public betting on Denver minus six and six and a half. But that's how we pretty much book a game. It's fascinating. How much? So, oh, I was going to ask if you had to like, how much are you typically, I guess, what percentage of the volume would you say typically is sort of the wise guys? And I know that's going to vary very much from game to game, and there'll be games where they completely stay away. But I I would say, you know, NFL is obviously the most public sport of all the sports that we book. So I'd say probably 80% is public money. Okay, interesting. So then let's switch gears a little bit, right? And let's talk about some of the ways that you incorporate things into point spreads. So like we talked about last week going into the off season uh, or the season, the week one, looking at the prior seasons, um, prior seasons, ratings, sort of end of the year, thinking about personnel changes, like what's your method for how you come up with your week one power ratings? I mean, it's pretty much what you just said is from the year before looking at what they've done in the draft. Obviously, uh, between the draft and the offseason, the two teams that seem like they uh, or the three teams that seem like they improved the most uh, would have been Philadelphia, New Orleans, and probably Denver was a big uh, winner in that. Maybe the Raiders a little bit. They got a couple of big free agents, but uh, I, I didn't believe so much. And then you look at the losers. You know, Tennessee got rid of their best receiver and literally has no one behind them. And that was just like mind boggling, trying to understand what they were doing. And then you also want to look at teams, teams that are bad, understand why they're bad. Are they really that bad or are they just young? Can, do they have the chance to be better? So you look at teams like the Giants, for instance. Uh, I, I believe the Giants have been coached just really badly for years on end. And if you look at the team, I think there's some talent there, but it's just they just can never figure out how to stop turning the ball over and figure a, figure a way out to win games. So they've got a new regime there, and they obviously look much better this past week. So that was a team I thought that could be improved. You look at other teams like Tampa. Tampa seemingly lost a, a lot from last year. It's not really portrayed in the media we kind of think that Chris Godwin wasn't going to play this year, or at least until at least halfway through, because he tore his ACL real late in the year last year, and you just don't come back in seven months. And that's a team that just is so old, and they lost a lot on their defensive line. Their offensive line lost a lot. They've had injuries. But then they match up against Dallas this is another team that, you know, we were big time down against Dallas entering this year because – we didn't understand what they were doing with their receivers. And you watch that first game and it's like, there's no one to throw the ball to. 
So that, that's some of the things we look at. We look, you know, Jacksonville's another team. They were so badly coached last year. Now they have Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. And they have a quarterback, we believe, that can be a top five quarterback in this league in the not too distant future. But it's just a matter of them cleaning up some of the nonsense that they've, they've uh, done over the years. So, you know, that's some of the variables that we look at, you know, making a, a number on a team and, you know, whether we're up or down against the team. So going into week two, um, I know you interpret week one results. You figure out what's obviously, you know, turnovers are going to be largely luck. But are there certain teams that you are more willing or I guess um, – you're quicker to sort of adjust from your week one rating than others. Yeah, I would say that's true. And, and injuries. I mean, when you watch the games, you take note of who gets hurt, you know? So the team that probably got banged up the most last week was the Steelers. They lost a ton last week and they lost a starting corner. Obviously they lost TJ Watt, who's their best defensive player. And uh, Najee Harris got hurt in that game. So we knew that going in because new England looked you know, New England against Miami, New England's offensive line was just run over in that game. Every time they tried to pass, they got sacked. Then Mac Jones got hurt. So we knew that Pittsburgh was banged up. So normally if, if Pittsburgh wasn't, didn't have all those injuries, you probably would have used Pittsburgh like two and a half in the opener. Meanwhile, I think we opened it pick. And, you know, with all the injuries and now the Mac Jones news, it's New England minus two and a half. So that's just some of the things. Um, I, I'd say the biggest thing that we've learned through the years is these NFL games, you almost want to try to pick a side. Like if you say, okay, here's your game, New England and Pittsburgh, someone's going to be minus three at the kickoff, which team's it going to be? And then you want to shade your line that direction. So you're quick to get to that number. That's, that's awesome to think about the, the uh, pay, the Steelers one is interesting because I think the mainstream media looks at that one and they're like, given how bad the Patriots look, how could they actually be favored against a Pittsburgh team that that showed a heartbeat last week? So it's interesting that, about how how much those injuries made a difference. Um, when you guys think about injuries and the effect that these team players have on the point spread. How do you think about different positions versus like the impact of different positions, right? So, so TJ Watts, perfect example, right? He's very impactful for his position, right? There's probably how many, you know, how many people at his position actually have that much of an impact on the point spread? Yeah, I mean, you're talking maybe Aaron Donald and uh, Miles Garrett from Cleveland, but I mean, th those guys are in a different class. Yeah. What about other positions that or players that you look at that have that like have such a tremendous impact on the point spread? I mean, to me, it's the offensive tackles. I, I think that's by far the most important part of the uh, equation as far as the injuries. And it's probably the least publicized in the media. And that, that's one thing that is just a constant that these wise guys find out, you know, this tackle's not going to play for this team and, you know, they bet against them. That's just how it goes. How do you, so how much deeper do you think the wise guys get in terms of understanding like the level of like, so certain guys are going to play 
but maybe aren't a hundred percent or maybe like, how do they get ahead? Cause it sounds like you think the wise guys get ahead of the injury information. How do you think they do that? Well, I, I mean, you're talking about, you know, wise guys, as far as there's a few select of them, not, there's not a lot. And there's a lot of people that see the line move and just follow along because they see someone else moving it. But, you know, the, the select few, I'm sure they've got contacts and people that are observing the practices or hear inside word through, you know, certain channels that no one else is available to. And I'm sure they find out information. I, w- I wish I had those contacts. Yeah, me too. Do I you- can remember a game, Rufus. This was about a couple, three, five years ago. Uh, one of the guys I know told me that the quarterback for this college team was not playing this week. And I mean, I searched everywhere. I had a, a Google or a, uh, a Twitter thing all week with his name, just waiting to see it. I mean, it literally until two hours before game time, then it got reported. But it's just some, it just shows you how when people are connected that they find stuff out that obviously <laughs> no one else knows about. You know, on a, a good example of that, when I, uh, I did a, um, six months or so with ESPN and like what I guess it was like six years ago now and I was in the green room with um, Brett McMurphy um, who is I guess he's not with ESPN anymore um, great guy but he tells me like it's like 10 minutes to kick off and he's like the Florida Atlantic quarterback's not gonna play today just FYI I'm about to tweet it out and um, I was like okay like how do you know and he's like his mom just texted me I was like okay like this is clearly like you are definitely an insider like that's impressive <laughs> yeah no doubt no doubt it's just but it's just amazing how in this day and age stuff like that can still happen where you know there's just so much information flowing everywhere it's just you know you would think that would be like impossible to keep under uh, wraps but it still does happen so in terms of information actually i think this is a interesting tangent to a different um type of market but Booking props, I feel like that's, I mean, that's 100% an information game. And I mean, I guess, A, why do you all, I mean, draft props, I should say, sorry. Why do you, um, I guess that it's just a necessary evil to do. Um, I'm sure you absolutely hate it, yeah, right? Oh, God, it's the worst. It's the absolute worst. It's, you know, we've experimented through the years and what we came up with is putting them up the Monday before the draft on that Thursday. And even with that, I remember this was before COVID this is a linebacker named Gary. I think the Steelers took him. I can't, or the Packers, someone drafted him. Anyway, um, everything I read about him, it was like just all positive stuff. So I saw what the number was out there. So I think we went a little bit lower and then sure enough that night it came out that something with his knee, didn't look right. And, you know, he dropped a couple spots, wound up getting picked 12th, but it's just, even the week of the draft, there's still information that's just hidden from, you know, the main street people that you just don't get. I mean, it's just, it's such an information game and it's, uh, it's like you said, it's, we do it cause it's the NFL and the NFL is so popular. Do we like it? No. Will we do it again this year? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, all it takes is someone with a contact in the front office or like a scout and those people are, you know, there are loose lips out there, huh? 
there's no doubt we saw that with Tom Brady in the offseason when he retired, and then all of a sudden people came running in to bet Tampa for the conference and the Super Bowl like, you know, they know something. And then a couple days later, sure enough. So, so when something like that happens, Ed, and you, you see that coming in and you're like, this is unnatural, what, what is your reaction at that point? Do you take it down? Do you just try to move it quickly? Do you, like, call every human being you know that might know Tom Brady? Like, what's the, what's the exit strategy for you there? You should call Jeff Ma. <laughs> no, basically, we just try to get the number so low that it keeps people away. Or if it's a game, I can remember on a – Monday before Thanksgiving, this is when, let's see, you guys use a tweet deck on Twitter? No, nah, I've used it, you sure? I'm a natural, I'm, I'm a regular Twitter guy. Okay. You're okay. Natural. So anyway, the tweet, I'm a natural the tweet Twitter deck Twitter. is like just, it's like rows of information that you just stare at the computer and the information just comes, you know, over and over and over like a ticker. So anyway, uh, I'm seeing it's, like I'm reading this thing and it's like, I go to Jeff Sherman sitting next to me. I'm like, Andrew Luck's not playing for the Colts on Thursday. So the line's sitting there at three, they're playing at home against the Steelers. It was Pittsburgh minus three. So we, I think we take the line and we move it up to six and a half. Now, you know, with the Don Best screen, there's so many people not so much people, casinos and offshore ones that they connect up. They're, com- they're, they're all computerized, so they, they trust certain books. So if book A, B, or C moves a line, theirs automatically moves to a certain extent. So we moved it to six and a half, and obviously we got a, a ton of money on the Colts. And this probably went on for about 20 minutes, and then the story came across that luck's not playing. I think the line wound up closing like eight and a half and Pittsburgh just destroyed them. That was, so you, were so you, you, you did okay in that situation. <laughs> no, we still lost because the public just bet the crap out of Pittsburgh at eight and a half. They didn't care. Got it. So can I ask how, so along the, on, along the lines of sort of, you know, this sort of sharp action early in the week and stuff, what sort of intuition do you have for early week dummy moves? Are you able to, are you able to sort of pick those up at all? Do you, I mean, do you notice, I, I think Rex Byers actually tweeted out today, former uh, um, Westgate guy that he thought that there was a lot of um, baloney moves in college football totals today. It could be. I mean, there's definitely uh, let's just say, uh, I mean, there, there's so much line movement that, you see it like in the CFL, it's, I'll tell Jeff every week, I'll like, okay, here's the games. This is what they're going to do. They're going to push this line to here. And then they're, you know, the, the one group's going to bet this side because whenever they make a play, and, but if you have an idea about the, what, what the number should be, it gives you a much better clue. Now, the thing you don't understand is injuries. That's always the hidden agenda there. You just never know who's hurt, but it's, you know, totals are obviously much harder to understand because there's only a few people that, you know, you can look at two teams that score a lot of points in college and the totals 65 and, you know, they push it up and you move it up. And then all of a sudden a sharp guy comes and bets under and it's like, oh, they set that one up to bet under. So, you know, totals are definitely a different animal as far as understanding which direction they're moving. And the NFL is much easier because, 
you can understand the tempo of the teams. You understand the weather conditions, things like that. But the college one can definitely be uh, easily manipulated. It's been said that every better has a footprint or maybe a fingerprint, probably both, <laughs> but in terms of their betting pattern. And so are there, and I think, I mean, as a better myself, I kind of try to think about that. Um, or maybe that's my excuse for being disorganized, I guess, um, in terms of, you know, if, if you're, you're betting this at the same time every week or every day, um, you know, people notice and, and follow. And so I was wondering if, do you think that's true? And if, is, is that, are you able to identify sort of sharper moves at all based on that? It's definitely true. And I think that the, the, the people that are essentially just really gambling on these games professionally, not just, you know, watching the screen and if it moves, they bet things like that, but people that are actually getting down a lot of money, you know, they definitely send different people in to do different things. And, you know, is, is it easy to spot? No. I mean, it's, but for the most part, I would say a maximum of two bets. I can understand what kind of player a certain person is. Two bets. Yeah. That's it. Damn. That's crazy. And that's based on size and who they bet on and timing and all sorts of stuff like that. Right. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, uh, they're betting parlays. Yeah, well, yeah, parlay. Well, they don't offer but, same game parlays, so I'm not betting any of those. No, we do in the other states. Oh, you do really? Dude, parlays yeah, are we the don't. best we way don't. to disguise sharp action now. <laughs> That's also like uh, the, the old blackjack days taking betting a lot of money off the top. You just you got to beard yourself somehow. Oh, there's no doubt. I, um, I mean, I I've know one guy that, you know, used to work for Billy Walters. And, you know, he told me the stories. They go into a place and for two weeks, they would just give them all square action, get the trust of them. And then once they got their trust, then they slowly turn it around and start betting the real stuff that they want to bet. And they get much more limits down because they already identified themselves and the casino has identified them as a square. So, you know, it's that we understand the game that goes on. Just, you know, sometimes it takes longer to figure it out, and sometimes you can figure it out much faster. Do you think any of the your competitors in other states, you know, the DraftKings, the FanDuel's of the world, have any idea, like if they were listening to this podcast right now, would they have any idea what you're talking about? I mean, I hate talking for someone else. I mean, I, I would assume they have some idea, but, you know, it's it's just so different since – Basically, you know, what is there, 19 or 20 states that have legal sports betting now? Things have changed so much as far as, uh, you know, with all these operators in all these states. I'm, I have no idea what these guys think. But, you know, a, a lot of them are doing some decent things as far as, you know, with computerized programs that run props and things like that. I mean, it's definitely changed the industry. How, how has the industry changed most since the legalization? I would say that uh, everything has a market. So let's just say for NFL division, you know, NFC East, you know, let's just say uh, the Giants, uh, their, their number everywhere is plus 550 to win the division. And you've got plus 650. You're going to get bet by someone. That's just how it is. 
you deviate from that beloved market, you're going to get a bet. And everything has markets these days, whether it's NFL props, uh, divisions, future book odds, NASCAR odds to win. Everything has a market. It's amazing. Do you think that's good or not? Um, it's different. I'm getting used to it. I mean, it, you know, everything changes in life. If you don't go with the changes, you get left behind. So it's just a matter of adapting to it. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer to adapt to it. But, you know, if you don't adapt, you get left behind. Sounds like betting, too. Yeah, no doubt. Are there um, any media outlets or any media shows that you think are informative for you as a bookmaker? Um, no. Not even bet the process? Oh, of course. Well, this episode for sure. <laughs> Do you think the mainstream media is... Does it make your job easier? Meaning like it probably helps your margin. I think anything that the media can do to talk about gambling is good for us. So, you know, obviously, you know, you go back 10, 20 years ago, you know, talking about gambling on the NFL was, you know, taboo that no one was allowed to do it in any of the channels that televised the games. And now the spreads are everywhere. So I think that's all good for us. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting. How do you see things evolving over the next couple of years specifically? Like, it sounds like you think that there's going to be more and more markets, um, more and more competition to make markets and certain things. Do you think that? Um, I guess who do you who do you think ultimately are the winners in five years from now? Like, who are the who are the people left standing? I mean, that's hard to say. Obviously, the people with the most money, i.e., you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, are the ones that uh, spend so much money on the advertising. It's just amazing. You watch a game, and whether you're watching the game or watching a commercial, no matter where you go, you see their ads. It's, like, just unreal how much money they spend into it. And I can remember when Cantor came to Nevada, you know, they were going to dominate this state, and then – you know, after X amount of time, they just pulled the plug and got out. So I have no idea how deep their pockets are and how willing, how long they're willing to go with it. But, you know, it's either going to be a few take over everything or, you know, you'll just have a bunch of uh, different places that take bets. And uh, but I, I don't know how they can keep up with the uh, advertising stuff that they do. It's just got to be just an amazing number that they spend. Ed, well, it's an unsustainable thing for real. We know that, right? Like the cost of acquiring customer versus how much they make off the customer. The switching cost is too low. It's, um, it's a race to the bottom right now. And it's like interesting to think about those companies and how much money they have and how much money they're burning through. So yeah, I agree with you. It's unsustainable. Rufus, you have a couple more questions. Yeah, yeah. I want to shift gears um, really quickly because, um, but I, I'm curious, Ed, how did you, I don't actually know much about your backstory. Like, how did you actually get into this arena, we say? Well, I mean, when I was a kid, my dad, he ran a bowling alley and then he owned a bar. And he used to bet with a book. He used to bet, I remember, 50 bucks. And I used to watch the games and I would root for his bets and things like that. And, 
you know, he liked horse racing. He used to bring us to the harness track, which I did not like. And, you know, as I, I, I got a little bit older, then I started betting. And obviously, like anyone that bets in the beginning, you lose and you either you lose all your money, or you figure out why you're losing and try to get better. So I eventually got better. Then we started coming out here on vacation every year. And this is during the 80s. And then we decided that, you know, let's give it a shot out here, move out here and uh, see what happens. I had no idea I was going to get in this industry. I just I liked it because the climate was much better than New Jersey. And, uh, you know, so we came out here the end of 92 or the end of 91, got a job at the Imperial Palace in May of 92. And then, you know, in a couple of months, I was working on the sports side with, uh, you know, punching tickets and, you know, working with Jay. And from there, I got promoted. And, uh, you know, it just keeps going forward. Worked with a ton of great people through the years. Obviously, Matt, who runs Circa, has just done an amazing job over there. I'm really proud of Matt. And, uh, you know, Chris works with us. I worked with Jeff for years at the Imperial Palace. And then he went his separate way. And then when we went over to the Las Vegas Hilton, you know, because I still talk to Jeff every day back then. And I'm like, Jeff, you should come with us. You really should. We need you. And he came with us. And, you know, we work together literally every day. And uh, it's a great relationship. I love how close-knit the sort of bookmaking community in Las Vegas is. Um, Are there any differences, I guess, since you started as a better, are there any differences between your process of making a line as a bookmaker and sort of the process that you use um, as a better? Yeah, I would say making a line as a bookmaker, you, you know, I think we had touched on this in the beginning, but what I like to do is just touch and, uh, look at a line and then say, all right, don't just be married to the line. Okay. If we've got it six, let's try six and a half. See who wants that. Let's try seven. See who wants that. So you understand how high you can go in this direction. And if you're not getting money on the other side, go down and see how low you can go on the other direction and kind of know what your boundaries are. Now you're not going to obviously do that with every game, but some of the bigger games you want to understand, you know, who's betting what at what number and go from there. But you know, it's. Are you, wait, are you still making your own power ratings? I do it for, for college football. I mean, that's one sport that I like, and I've always done it for college football, and I do it for the, uh, what's a one double A, the uh, FCS, which is different in its own self. But I, I yeah, I, I do that. NFL, NFL and NBA ratings, literally, um, I, you could just give me a game and I could give you a line. They're so easy to make. And then it's just based on, uh, you know, what's in front of the team the following week, what happened the past week and all that. But those lines are so simple to make. Okay. Last question. What is your favorite NFL prop that you ever invented? <laughs> I don't want to use that sack or the tackles one again, because that's the last time I remember talking to you. Oh I'm yeah, sure the, you remember that yep, Von Miller, right? Where you all yeah, the, the sacks do not count, right? And I was like, well, this yeah, um, <laughs> it was Von Miller who had, I guess he had three tackles and they were all sacks or something, right? Or it was something like that, or maybe it was, but yeah, um, what you were saying is they don't count extra. Yeah, I mean, I, we got confused on it. The, the problem with the Super Bowl is everyone tries to take every prop and 
spin it to their direction. And then we tried to put all these extra rules in it to make it easier for essentially a novice to understand. And in that one, I think we got so much extra that we actually confused ourselves and you with it. Oh, I, and I, 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 under- I hated that. I was like, I have to put in all this extra work now to like make sure that like this, you know, that the sacks don't count. Mm-hmm. And obviously that was a mistake on our point, um, which we've corrected, but you know, we've had some through the years, like, uh, will there be a lead change in the fourth quarter? You would be amazed twice because I made this prop up. John and Jay made me go to the final gaming hearing, you know, downtown Las Vegas for the final appeal because people just like the, what was the game? The, uh, the Falcons and Patriots game. It was what, 28 to nine in the fourth quarter. And they wound up tying at 28, 28. And then it went to overtime. But that technically isn't a lead change in the fourth quarter, right? It's, Right, team, right. It team, wasn't. Both teams and did, the did. Will both teams lead in the fourth quarter? Right. He did that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, so we put down lead is defined by having more points than your opponent, and then we finally had to put down for yes to occur, both teams must be winning at some point in the fourth quarter, because the Patriots Rams game, the same thing happened again. I think it was three three after three quarters, and a guy went to gaming or appealed his, you know, because the gaming agent makes his decision, ruled for us, and then you're, they're allowed to appeal, which he did. So I had to go back down again and explain our side. And, you know, since we put that last rule in, we haven't had any problems. But then again, we haven't had any ties in the fourth quarter. So it's just people just spin things and then they talk to other people and they say, yeah, you're right. You're right. So then they convince themselves they are right. But my favorite prop going back to that question is I can remember when I was a teller, it was my first Super Bowl in Las Vegas, as far as working at the Imperial palace. And this was in the infancy of props. So Jay had asked me for a prop and I gave him uh, will Daryl Johnston have a rush attempt i think that was against buffalo i think if i remember that was the leon led super bowl so they put that one up and everyone was betting the yes on that and he did not have a rushing attempt so the book did very well on that so that's kind of one of my favorites people didn't understand the facade distribution huh (laughs) well so that's that's actually like a great story right because ultimately you want to create a prop that everyone wants to bet over, but it's most likely to go under. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, to me, the best thing about props is to keep them simple. People want something they can understand and it's easy to look at and know what it is. You know, to me, the simpler the prop, the easier it is for everyone to understand it and the more action you get. Yeah. The, the, the scrap, I mean, the golden nugget always did the scrabble value of the first touchdown score. And it's like, that's pretty hard to root for. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck with that. And it's hard to like, it it requires additional work to handicap too. So I'm sure it does. All right, Ed, thank you for joining us. We'll let you get out of here now. Um, This is very special to be able to talk to a real bookmaker who knows something about sports and handicapping and, uh, hopefully we'll ha- be able to have you on again, but it was, it was great. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Thanks guys. Thanks, Ed. 
Well, that was Ed Salmons, not Ed Salmons, as Jonathan Abram would say. And I'm a little bit disappointed that I feel like that joke didn't land. But the people that watched Hard Knocks, whatever year the Raiders were on, will get it. Yeah, he's like the prop king. He's like an OG. Everyone talks about him being OG. So what's, oh, what's the lineage there? So Cornegay has been around the longest. Yeah, Cornegay started like basically Imperial Palace is where props really originated, where, where they became what they are. Or I guess they were at the forefront of making props this kind of big thing. Um, and that kind of carried over when, when uh, Jay and Ed and others and Jeff Sherman went from the Imperial Palace to the Las Vegas Hilton, now known as the Westgate. How's your betting been so far this season? So this is interesting. Last week, I mean, I've only bet college football so far. Um, I didn't bet any NFL week one because those lines, and I didn't bet any college football week one either, or week zero, I guess, or one, because those lines had been out for a long time. And so um, as most of you know, I focus mostly on golf. And so I didn't want to bet into like a really, really mature market there. Um, So I bet college football week two, got all my action down Monday. I could not imagine getting worse closing line value. Like it was, it was pretty brutal. Um, For example, I bet middle Tennessee state plus seven and a half and they closed at plus 14 and a half. And I couldn't find any injury because, you know, I don't have uh, the inside sources telling me that the left tackles out the other sharp people do that I need to cultivate. But, but middle Tennessee did end up winning like by they're up like 27, nothing at halftime and they won in a blowout. So um, I don't know what to think because I actually like crushed it on Saturday despite getting really bad closing line value. So, I mean, I, I will be, I, I'm, that makes me kind of hesitant and a little bit nervous and kind of curious to see what it looks like this week. Um, but actually Jack told me that he talked to a number of people who said they had bad closing line value that are used to getting good closing line value. So I don't know what that means. Um, we'll see. What about you? What, are you? what are you on this week? We can check out what your closing line value looks like right now. Um, let's see. Why don't I just look at the plays that we got down? Um, yeah, and I have I'm a line in the group chat in front of me. that. Where's the um, and then we can, yeah, let's see. Okay, so we bet Western Kentucky plus seven, I need plus pull, six. So you got some value there. Let me pull up my unabated odds screen here. Um, you don't have to, you just read them off and I'll tell okay. you. Okay, um, well, well, it's not closing line value yet, it's line value, but right. Because there are dummy moves. Um, Georgia minus 24. They're minus 25 now. Okay. Nebraska plus 12 and plus 11 and a half. And by the way, I was they're, hard they're against. They're plus 10 and a half now. You really are killing it. I was hard against Nebraska last week. Um, and I think that the this is an interesting one because I think that there's this, I mean, I, I assume the market's just really overreacting to Scott Frost being fired and thinks that Nebraska is not going to be good because of that. Um I don't know. Um, Buffalo plus 14 and a half. Jeff? I'm looking for it. Uh, it's plus 14. Okay. Old Dominion plus 10 and a half. It's plus eight. Dude, you got good line value this week. Let's go. Okay. Um, well, that means I'm probably going to lose because last week I got awful line value in one. Um, why, don't, why don't I read off my plays from last week so you can see how bad the line value was? Um, no, no, no. Let's. Okay. I want to finish. Notre Dame, Notre Dame minus nine and a half. Notre Dame minus nine and a half. Minus 11 and a half. Tulane plus 16. It's plus 14. Georgia Southern plus 12 and a half and plus 12. It's plus 11 and a half. Charlotte plus 20 and a half and plus 20. It's plus 19 and a half. You're really killing it. Florida Atlantic plus nine and a half. It's plus eight and a half. 
Michigan State plus three and a half. It's only my it's plus three and a half still. And Clemson minus thirty three and minus thirty three and a half. Clemson's minus thirty four. Well, look at you, you know, Rufus. I I don't know what I don't know what to make of that because it's not like the model changed in a week yet. I was getting I got completely shat on by the market last week. So I you still, know what to make of it, Rufus. You know what to make of it. Well, it's Short, not a good small sign. sample size and variance. It's true. I still want to know why that Middle Tennessee State game moved seven points. Someone must have thought they had some information in that. Maybe. I mean, I do tend to think that like that kind of a move is like season. seems like it's information driven. At some it does, point. right? Like I had BYU minus three last week, and and they had two wide receivers ruled out, and so I it moved to minus two and a half, and I get that. Um, but I couldn't find the second half to do last week. I do not bet them. We're still working on getting the server like we're doing a little server transition thing. Um, I bet I, I did bet one NFL second half last week. Actually, no, two. I bet I bet Sunday. I bet the Sunday and Monday at football. I don't know if you were betting any NFL second halves, but I did not understand that um, Dallas Tampa Bay second half line at all, where you were getting plus money on. Like I bet I bet Tampa plus one thirty five second half. They were up nine at the half, and I twelve three. I also bet them. I guess plus two second half and plus one and a half. And yeah, worked out. Yeah, and I had um, what I uh, I had, I actually bet Denver minus six and a half, which lost, but under twenty four, which won for that second half. How how were your second halves? We didn't bet any in the NFL. Our college stuff did really well this last week. It was um, it was a good bounce back from the week first week, which just didn't do particularly well. So um, last week was a good week. You know, ask, last week made you, me think I could be a professional better again. Can I ask you a question on your second half methodology? You just did ask me a question. Go for well, it. I asked, no, I asked you on your results. But I'm curious, do you um, – are things different for you early in the season in terms of how your model reacts to one half of play relative to, you know, the, the pregame line? I don't believe so. Interesting. Because mine isn't really either, and I've it feels like intuitively it should be. But the data doesn't says that that's not really the case. But right. it's, how do you how how would that possibly be true? Because obviously you're a lot more uncertain on teams early in the year. So right, maybe they're more certain than their halves of play. So I don't know. I like that theory. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. unless we have anything insightful, you want to pick an NFL game, and I'll pick an NFL game. Yeah, let's so go have something. Yeah, let's do that. I now have NFL ratings. I'm way too high on the Raiders, and I don't like it. I was kind of like listening to Ed, and as I was uh, listening to him, I was like kind of like formulating some NFL bets this week based on what he was saying. Yeah, okay. Can I hear what they are? I think I like the Saints plus the two and a half. Because they had the offseason improvements? or And because Tampa Well, just because he feels like Tampa's kind of like overrated. Uh because they have injuries that no one's really taking account, thinking about how old they are. They come off looking like world beaters mm-hmm. against, you know, the Cowboys who were clearly had no clue. And the Saints generally are a team that people are, that smart people I know are thinking are underrated. So okay. no opportunity to bet on them. Getting two and a half at home. I like that. Also dumb podcast co-hosts tend to bet on too much. Also dumb, po- yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah. then the other one that I thought was interesting. By the way, I, I, I don't uh, like Cowboys. Cowboys plus seven and a half now. I thought that was interesting. Like, because he says he thinks he's close seven. Seems like a lot of reaction to injuries. I mean, obviously, Dak is important, but like Stephen A. Smith or actually Skip Bayless thinks that Cooper Rush might be better than Dak. So I don't get that, that line one bit. I, I do not understand that line at all. Um, I think that, I mean, I have Dallas. I mean, I, I downgraded Dallas like it's like six and a half points, basically. And yet I still have them basically as a pick here. I'm yeah. really, I'm, I'm low on Cincinnati. I'm very low on Cincinnati. <clears throat> I think a lot of people are. Well, I mean, their um, season win total which, is, like is that, that going to be your pick then? Yeah, I'll take Dallas plus seven and a half. I, I don't think we bet it yet. I'm not sure because I, I was kind of late in getting my ratings out. And so I'll have to ask, I'll have to ask the trading team if we actually bet it or not. But um, yeah. All right. I guess other ones where my my the Massey Peabody number differs from the market. Um, although I haven't, re- I'm not sure if this is the updated market. This is in the spreadsheet, but like uh, Washington, awful name team, um, plus points against Detroit. Let's see, Seattle against San Francisco, a little bit. Yeah, that one seems way too high for me. But like that actually makes sense from what Ed was saying. He was saying like a lot of the betters just think Seattle's terrible. Well, I, I'm not that low on Geno Smith, to be honest. Um, but that's, I, I'm not saying I'm high on his upside, but his now-ness. I mean, just given the fact the experience he does have. San Francisco played like that game. And like, I don't know if you saw any of that game, the conditions, the mud. It was terrible. It was awful. It was, it was, I, I don't think, I'm not sure what conclusions you can jump to about either of those teams based on that. Um, Maybe you could get a jump to conclusions, Matt. That's a good, you know, I should, but. Put it on the first floor because you don't want to like upset the people under you if you're jumping. All right, um, Jag- wait, Jaguars, Jaguars against the Colts. I feel like that's kind of a, uh, I mean, home dog there. Um, I'm low on the Colts. What they else? lost me my Survivor last week, so. And then I guess uh, Houston. I mean, of course, I like big underdogs generally, but yeah, these are games highlighted on my sheet. So Houston plus the ten seems like good. It does. I agree. I agree with that. I think, I mean, I think I tend to think, and maybe this is anecdotal, but when you have a lot of offseason transition um, with teams, I think there's a bit of a getting used to period, especially like a team like Denver, which didn't even really play anybody in the preseason. I mean, I, how do you expect them to come out and suddenly be in midseason form? Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard. It's hard to do. I, I suspect I'm not a football player. Okay. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed this podcast. We'll be back again very soon. And now we are we have returned to Twitter. After four and a half years of a lost Twitter password, we have a active Bet the Process Twitter account again. Yeah. Cool. Goodbye. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Numbers in the simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are about to end just running off a of Reddit.